morning. It's a joy to be back with you. I, I trust that last Sunday was a day of encouragement for you all. And um, I'm thankful to, um, to you all for that time to be away to celebrate my brother's wedding. Um, it me- meant a great deal to us and to our family. This, um, this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, where we will continue our study. You'll find your place in Luke 2, 25. While you're finding your place, let me say a few words by way of introduction. If I were to ask you, what is your dream in life? I wonder what you might say. You might think of the one thing you might like to see before you die. Perhaps you'd like to see the Bears win another Super Bowl, or your grandchildren grow into adulthood, or you might think of some ambition that you have, something you want to accomplish before your time comes. Perhaps you want to write a book, to start a business, to achieve some other ambition in your life. Well, today, as we come to Luke chapter 2, we're going to meet a man whose ambition in life was not rooted in his own efforts, nor was it rooted in his own achievements. But rather, he made it his life's ambition to watch and to wait for the Lord to fulfill his promises to his people Israel. His ambition in life was to watch and to wait. His dream was to see those things that he knew must take place. And indeed, he saw them, and he rejoiced. And so if you found your place... In fact, I'll begin in verse 22, and I will be reading to verse 38 in Luke chapter 2. Would you follow along with me? And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. 
She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And now, O Lord, our Father in heaven, we pray that You would grant us Your favor, that we might hear Your Word and understand it and be changed by it. We pray, Lord, that as we read Your Word and we hear it spoken, that You would work in our hearts to produce in us that kind of singular focus that we see in Simeon, that we've seen in Anna, that kind of focus that finds its meaning in this life, not in one's own personal achievements, and not in the things that one does, but ultimately finds our purpose and our fulfillment in Christ and the work that you've accomplished through him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to begin by establishing the context for what we read in this passage. If you recall, two weeks ago, we looked at verses 21 through 24 and then also at Galatians chapter 4 to understand why it is, the significance of why it is that Luke draws our attention to the way in which Jesus lived under the law, the way in which his parents lived obediently in accordance with the law. And there, when we looked to Galatians, we saw that it was necessary for Jesus to come as a man who was born under the law of Moses so that he might redeem us from under the law so that we might no longer be slaves but sons. And that's what we looked at two weeks ago. There in Galatians, when Paul spoke about redemption, he used a word that speaks of, uh, that, that was used in the marketplace, that, that speaks of purchasing something, redeeming something of value. That a price was paid and which, which was meant to purchase us. But here Luke also speaks of redemption, though he uses a different word, which again we translate as redemption or to redeem. But here the language speaks of a ransom. And I want to set the context by speaking about how the Old Testament spoke about these ideas, spoke about the redemption and the consolation of Israel. That is, by asking the question, what did Simeon expect? Not simply on the basis of what the Spirit had revealed to him individually and personally, but what did he expect based on a life of reading and hearing and studying the Scriptures? His expectations would have been rooted in these two words that we see that form bookends in this text, redemption and consolation. You see, Simeon was one who, Luke says, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Anna, when she came into the temple precincts, she was speaking to everyone who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These two words, consolation and redemption, they speak of the same thing, but they look at it from a different, nuanced perspective. That is, when Simeon is said to be waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's waiting for God to comfort his people. One of the texts that would have been chief in his mind is found in Isaiah chapter 40, in verses 1 and 2, 
where there we read, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see, Isaiah spoke of a day when God would comfort his people. And that comfort was needed for two reasons. One, because Israel's situation was one of subjugation. They were subjected to the rule of foreign powers. And this went from the time of their exile in 586 B.C. all the way up and through the time of Christ where Israel was living under the rule of the Roman Empire. They lived in their land. They had returned to their land, but they did not rule that land. They were oppressed. They were overtaxed. They were subjected to cruelty. And they were waiting for comfort. But this word does not speak merely of comfort from external challenges and external trials. It does not speak merely of the comfort that would come when Israel would be freed from the rule of foreign powers. But it speaks of the comfort that would come when the people of Israel would receive the forgiveness that comes through the Christ. You see, Isaiah uses those words that you're to speak to her, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received double for all of her sins. Here, Simeon's thoughts about this consolation would have been informed not just by his hope that Israel would be freed from the rule of powers, but also that his hope that Israel would be redeemed from slavery to sin. That's what he was waiting for. And the day came when a child was born and Simeon, informed by the Spirit, realized that his hopes were coming to their fulfillment in this child, in the Christ. And he waited. The other word that we see here in this text that speaks of the redemption, speaks of a ransom, the idea that something or someone is given to ransom someone else from slavery. And that we see at the end of this passage when Anna, this prophetess, goes into the temple precincts and she begins to speak to everyone who is there, everyone who is waiting for that redemption of Jerusalem, waiting for the ransom to be made. This language would have recalled in their minds the time when God ransomed His people from slavery in Egypt, when by means of the Passover sacrifice, He bought them out. When He went and He struck down the firstborn of Egypt and He ransomed His people, He gave something, a lamb, in their place. And all of that was to point forward to the day when He would again do a much greater work of redemption by ransoming his people again from not just slavery under the nations, but most importantly from the slavery that we all experience to sin. Therefore, this morning we heard read in the call to worship these words from Psalm 130 and verse 7 and 8. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him 
is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And again, we see this connection of redemption to the need to be redeemed from our sins, from our iniquities. And these passages and passages like it would have informed Simeon's thoughts and would have informed Anna's thoughts and the people to whom she preached as they lived their lives in faith, waiting for the day when God would fulfill these promises that they found in His Holy Word. And this is the context, and yet there's something surprising in the passage as we step through it. Something that would have been surprising to Simeon's contemporaries. Something that he proclaims that itself also was rooted in the prophetic word, and yet was veiled, was somewhat mysterious. For in asking questions about redemption and consolation, we need to ask, from what and to what have we been redeemed? But we also need to ask, for whom is this redemption given? Israel looked forward to the day when they would be redeemed from under the rule of nations, yes, but they also looked for the day when they would be redeemed from slavery to sin. And then there's one more surprise that comes to us in Simeon's words. But they were to look forward to the day when that redemption would not be theirs alone, but that redemption would come to the nations. Now, Simeon, as we look at our passage, we see is a man who is like the watchman in Psalm 130, or as we read in Psalm 50, excuse me, Isaiah 52, that idea of a watchman. Simeon is like a faithful watchman, watching and waiting for the Lord to work. So many of you know I served many years in the Navy, and I've stood my fair share of watches on ships, navigating through ocean waters, or working in the engine room of a ship and supervising operations there. And it's an interesting thing that when you come to watch, sometimes it's a very boring and very long watch, and all you can do is say, I cannot wait for this to be over. When you're standing on the bridge of the ship in the middle of the night, looking out at an ocean with nothing going on, just the stars above and the water below, and not a ship within hundreds of miles. You look at your watch very frequently and you say, I cannot wait for this watch to end. And yet sometimes in the course of that watch, something incredible happens. It could be a very difficult thing, something that stresses you out, that requires you to act with immediacy, or it could be some kind of amazing sight that you see, a comet or a shooting star or some kind of other celestial event. And sometimes you find yourself going to the bridge and watching and waiting to see that thing happen. Or hoping that some kind of event won't happen where an engine goes down, for instance. Or another ship suddenly comes out of nowhere and threatens a collision. But those are the reasons why you're on watch. Not just to see the beautiful things that would happen, but so that you can step into action quickly. And in the course of your duties as you're carrying out that watch, as you're waiting for something to happen that might call for you to step into immediate action, there are other things that you must do. You don't just stand there, but you work on maintenance and you direct the ship from one place to another. And these are the mundane, ordinary duties of life. And I paint this picture of standing watch on a ship because I want you to see that Simeon is like a watchman 
And he's had one long watch that has extended across his whole life. And in the course of that watch, he has been a faithful watchman. Luke tells us that he is righteous and devout. That is, he is he's a man like Zechariah who lives his life in accordance with the law. And he is very careful. That's the idea of being devout. He's very careful to do what the Lord requires. But he's also a man who lives his life in faith. That's what's expressed by the fact that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting and believing that God will do what he has promised. And he has a more specific and individual promise that the Spirit has revealed to him, that he won't die. That, in other words, his watch will not come to an end until he sees the Christ. And I think of those times when I was on a ship, and the navigator would say, before your watch ends, we will pull into port in England, or we will pass through or enter into the Suez Canal. And you have that expectation and that anticipation that something very interesting is going to take place. But sometimes it doesn't come to fruition. The navigator is wrong or something delays your transit. But here, Simeon has a sure word from the Lord that his watch will not come to its end until he sees the redemption that the Lord brings, has brought to us in Christ. A Simeon, Luke tells us three times that he's one who is filled with the Spirit and that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him in this particular situation, puts a particular emphasis on the Spirit, showing us that Simeon is a prophet, that he's one who speaks under the influence and the agency of the Spirit. And so he speaks God's Word as his spokesman. And the Spirit directs him to come into the temple, and he comes into the precincts, into the court outside the temple, and he finds Mary and Joseph coming with the child Jesus. And he rushes up to them, and he takes them in his arms, knowing that he has taken the Christ in his arms, knowing that the word of the Lord has been fulfilled in that moment. And in that moment, he blesses the Lord. He praises the Lord for the thing that God has done in Christ. He says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon knows that he has stood his his final watch, as it were. He's come to the end of that long watch. And now the Lord has fulfilled His word and He will be granted to depart in peace. It is to go to His eternal rest, having seen the Christ. He says, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. It's as if his life's ambition has been realized. And he praises the Lord for it. Because God has done according to His Word. He says, You've now letting your servant depart in peace according to your Word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He looks at the child and he says, This, O Lord, is your salvation. That through this child you are working to save your people from their servitude, from their slavery. What we expounded already, what we've seen already, that slavery, most importantly, to sin. Here, God is working to save His people in the sending of this child. But Simeon says some amazing things about that saving work. He says that God has prepared this work in the presence of all peoples. And that idea of preparation is one of, of 
carefully working out all things according to God's providential plan. You can think of a time in your life when you are hosting a dinner party and you have guests coming over perhaps on a Christmas morning and you make careful preparations and you're putting all things into place according to plan. And that's what God had been doing since the very beginning is working out carefully His providential plan. And it was all leading up to this moment. Now Simeon is as if, it's as if he's been invited to the dinner party that God has prepared. And he comes and says, My eyes have seen the salvation that you have prepared. And it's not just for Simeon, but he's prepared it in the presence of all peoples, Simeon says. Then he further describes that prepared work, that salvation, according to two phrases, in two ways, that is, as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You see, one of the things that Luke will emphasize over and over again in this gospel, one thing that we need to see is that from the beginning, God's purpose was not just to save one people in the midst of the earth, You see, remember what he says to Abraham? That through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And later, through your offspring, I will bless all the nations to the earth, the Lord said to him. There was always this purpose that blessing would flow through the people of Israel to the nations. And Simeon speaks of that blessing, which has been prepared in the presence of all people, as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is a common image that the Gospels use, that all of Scripture uses to describe the ministry of Christ. Last week, when you heard John chapter 1 proclaimed, you dwelt on that, you meditated on this idea that Jesus is the light of the world, that in Him was life, John said, the light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That this idea that Jesus is the light means that it means so much. It's such a full and significant image, but it means at least that He is the one who reveals the Father. He is the one who reveals God. He is the one who makes Him known to us and makes plain all of His purposes. That He came into the world as a light for revelation. The Gentiles were people who dwelt in darkness. And yet, with the coming of the Christ, a light shined brightly so that all who saw Him would be called to believe and to receive what was revealed in the Christ. And Simeon is saying that about him. Even as a child, he's prophesying that this is the nature of his ministry, that it will be a light not just for Israel, but a light for the nations, light for all peoples. But he also says that he comes as glory to your people Israel. That he, the Christ, is to be the glory of Israel. And these two ideas we need to understand are not mutually exclusive. That he can be a light to the nations and he can be the one who is the glory of Israel, who brings glory to God's people. And I make this point, I emphasize this point that these are not mutually exclusive. Because in Jesus' unfolding ministry, there are those who will think they are. 
For there are those who will reject the idea that the Christ and the gospel should go forth to the nations. And indeed, it will even surprise many. We see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, after Peter was sent to Cornelius, this Gentile God-fearing man, and he received the Spirit, and Cornelius was baptized upon receiving the Spirit. Peter came back to Jerusalem and reported all of these things that had happened. And we read in Acts 11, verse 18, when they heard these things, that is, those in the Jerusalem church, the apostles and others, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, they always knew that the prophets spoke of a day when the glory of the Lord would fill the earth, when the knowledge of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And yet, it was not entirely clear how that would be seen. Would that be seen merely in a reversal whereby Israel ruled all the nations? For some, that was the expectation. But what we're seeing here in Acts and also in Luke is that it would be seen as the gospel goes forth to the nations and as Gentiles receive that gospel and put their faith in Christ and come into the people of God. This was a mystery. That is, it was a hidden thing, Paul says in Ephesians 3. He says, when you read this in Ephesians 3, verse 4 and following, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other words, though the prophets spoke of it, it was not made known to the degree and with the clarity with which God revealed it and is revealing it here in our passage in Luke. But Paul goes on there to say, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And Simeon is speaking of that, the fact that Christ's ministry would be light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. These two ideas are entirely consistent. There's nothing contradictory about them. But the fact that people will not receive that, in other words, that that will cause some people to reject the Christ, is seen in what Simeon goes on to say. There we see in verse 33 that Joseph and Mary are stunned by what has just unfolded before them. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon turns his attention to them, and he blessed them. And he says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon tells Mary that this child is not just appointed for the rise of Israel, but he's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. This morning in Sunday school, we saw that. As we go through Luke, we'll see it more. There are many, as we see Luke's gospel unfold, who will reject Christ for a whole variety of reasons. And yet, though some will fall, many will also rise as they embrace Christ by faith. 
as they look to him and see that indeed he is the light sent by God. Indeed, he is the one who brings glory to God's people. But not all will receive it. And even from Mary, Simeon turns his attention to her and he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. These phrases are enigmatic. They're, they're difficult to understand. There's a way in which his speech is veiled. But we can understand it as we see these things fulfilled throughout Luke's gospel. You see, what we're going to see in Luke's gospel, in fact, we've already seen it to some extent. We see it in Mary's life, this idea that her relationship to Christ, though it is different in that she is his mother, her final and ultimate relationship to him is no different than the relationship that any person has with Christ through faith, if they come to him by faith. To put it another way, though she is his mother, that does not, is that, that is not what brings her into the most meaningful and most important relationship that she must have with Christ. That she too must come by faith. And in that process, as that is seen, it's going to cause turmoil and conflict naturally in her life. She's going to chafe against it. That she's going to see his ministry unfold and how there's always a distancing that's occurring where he says of his mother and brothers, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of God. And he says again, and John, when she asks him to solve this problem of the fact that they've run out of the wine, he says, woman, what does that have to do with me? There's always this kind of distancing as his ministry ultimately leads to an act that will cause her the deepest pain as she sees her child crucified on a cross. And Simeon is pointing forward to this as a way of calling her to realize and to see as this ministry unfolds that she too must come to Christ by faith. She has no inside track. And she does, and she will, for she is one who, Elizabeth said of her, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment to the word of the Lord. But it was a hard thing, and it would be such a hard thing, not for Mary, but for many in Israel, to realize that they did not have an inside track that made faith unnecessary, that they would fall at the revelation of the Christ, that they would reject him. But they needed to see, and we need to see, that the only way to receive this salvation, the only way to re be redeemed from our sins, is to see in Christ that He is the one whom God has appointed, the one whom God has sent to ransom us from our captivity, to redeem us from our slavery to sin. And unless we see him and embrace him as the only one, the only one by which men can be saved, we have no part in his glorious redemption. We must come to Christ by faith. We must receive and believe this gospel. That's true for you and for me, even as it was true for Mary and all in Israel. 
And there we see then unfold in the final portion of this passage another woman, Anna, a prophetess, comes. And again, to use that imagery of a watch, it's as if she takes the watch, she relieves Simeon, and now she takes this message and she declares it to all the faithful who are present. This woman, just like Simeon, is a faithful woman, and the way Luke presents that to us is by calling attention to her old age, the fact that she was married seven years, and then she was widowed, and she devoted the rest of her life, of her 84 years, to prayer and fasting and service and devotion to God. And whether she lived to be 84, or Luke is saying that she lived 84 more years, and maybe she's about 105 years old, it's not entirely clear. The point is, she's old, and she's committed her life to the Lord. She's devoted herself to the Lord, even as Simeon had. And now she takes forward this message that Simeon declared in praise to God and to Mary, and she declares the same ideas as she speaks of the child to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And here what we see then in this exposition, in this passage, is the necessity of faith in Christ and the worthiness of Christ. We see that He is worth all of our lives, that He is worth all of our devotion. He is worthy of our complete and total trust. We see it in Simeon's example, and we see it in his words, and we see it in Anna's example. And so as we think how to apply this passage, what are we to do with it? We come back to the question with which we began. What is your greatest ambition in life? And I'll phrase it in another way. What constitutes a life worth living? A life worth living is not defined in terms of personal accomplishments, nor is it defined by the things that we have or the experiences that we have, the things that we see. A life that is worth living is lived completely in the light of Christ. That its, its direction and its orientation is fully and completely away from ourselves toward Him by faith. And so this passage challenges us. It calls us to let our ambitions and our dreams be formed in the light of our Savior and Redeemer because Jesus is worth it. We ought to let our lives be defined in His light because He is worthy of our complete devotion. Think of it. This child fulfilled all of Israel's hopes. Simeon stands as a representative for his people, as a watchman for his people. And he looks at this child and he says, this baby in my arms, he is the one who brings salvation and redemption and consolation. He is worthy of it. Not anyone else here, not the priest in the temple, not any of the, of the people we read about in the scriptures who have gone to their eternal reward. Him and Him alone, He is worth it. And so He's worthy of our total devotion. For He alone is the one who can accomplish, and has accomplished, our redemption. He's worthy of our complete and total trust. For no one else could redeem you from your slavery to sin. God, by means of the Passover and by the miracle of parting the waters of the Red Sea, 
redeemed his people from physical slavery, but the redemption that they most needed could only be accomplished not by a lamb, but by the perfect Son of God who came in the flesh and gave his life on a cross. It was the only way. And he did it. And so he is worthy of your complete and total trust. Not only for your salvation, but for all things. For we're told by the Apostle Paul, how will he, the Father that is, how will he who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him also give us all things? Fulfill all his purposes of redemption. Accomplish all that he has promised. How will he not do it? He will not withhold any good thing that he has promised if he did not even spare his own son. And so we live our lives in trust. We live our lives in full devotion to him. And thirdly and finally, the third and final way in which Jesus is worthy of our complete and total devotion, worthy of all of our trust, he is worth waiting for. You see, we too wait for the fullness of our redemption. Just as Simeon waited for God to send the Christ, we now know with clarity, with the fullness of Scripture, we know that we wait for another coming. We wait for God to send the Christ again. And in the meantime, as we wait, though we have already been redeemed from our sin, we have not been redeemed yet from the effects of sin in this world. That is, we still suffer pain. We still suffer sickness. We still face persecution. We still face difficulties in life. And yet we know that Christ is worth waiting for because the redemption that He will bring, the full and final redemption that He will bring when He returns, will make all of those things seem as nothing in light of the eternal joy that we experience in God's eternal kingdom. And so we wait for that day when our redemption will be seen in His return, when He reigns on earth and then ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. This is a life worth living, a life of waiting, a life of watching, a life of faithful devotion to the Lord. But you're probably left with this question, what does this look like? Very simply, I give you the answer. And what we read together this morning, the words of Scripture that we read from Titus chapter 2, where Paul wrote in verse 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You want to be like Simeon, you want to be like Anna, you want to wait for the coming of the Christ, you want to wait for his return, then look to words like these and consider what he has called us to do. That is, the character of this watch, the character of our waiting, 
ought to be characterized by committing ourselves to Christ-likeness in every way, committing ourselves to godliness, not in a way that finds our trust, places our trust in our obedience, but in a way that is empowered by the Spirit to the praise of our Lord and all because of our gratefulness and thankfulness for what He has done for us, that which we could not do in our own power. That ought to be the character of our lives as we wait. A life of repentance, a life of faith, a life that is marked by the joyful proclamation of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, O Lord, are a gracious and loving God. We thank you and we praise you that you have sent such a great redemption through such a great Redeemer. Through Him, we have forgiveness. Through Him, we are cleansed of our sin. For it's by His blood and His blood alone that You make us pure before You. It's by His righteousness and His righteousness alone given to us through faith that you declare us to be righteous. What a great redemption you've given us in our Redeemer, Jesus. So we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Lord, teach us then to go forth from this place as people who wait for the fullness of that redemption, as people who wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These things we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.